Well, good morning, church. Good morning, church. Hey, there we are. We're so glad to uh, gather today. So thankful for uh, the sunshine, the beauty, and uh, for this property. We're thankful for the Lord. And I just want to say thank you to everyone who faithfully honors God with their resources and gives generously. We just want to say thank you and uh, just uh, bless you today. Uh, friends, we've been in a series, and uh, it's been going on, you know, since the beginning of June. And the series has been Encountering God in Everything. Sometimes we wanted to blow apart this idea that God, and we encounter God only as we meet together in a church building or kind of a gathering. And we learned that while God does actually meet us in th that space, there's a lot of ways in which we encounter God and experience His presence. We saw how that we can encounter Him and His presence and work in various areas as we build a framework or a trellis building spiritual practices through which uh, we encounter him and he does his work in us. We learned about how we encounter God in nature. He is not in all of nature. He created it and is above all and completely other, but all of his wisdom, his eternal power and glory and attributes are clearly seen through it. And when we see and behold the beauty of his cre creation, we learn about him and we work worship him. We learned that we encounter him through his people. The Lord strengthened Paul through the coming of Titus. And God actually works, and we encounter him through his people as they encourage us, as they comfort us, as they teach us, as they encounter us, as they challenge us and confront us. We encounter God in celebration. We learned that Jesus and the Father and the Spirit. God is the most joy-filled being in the entire universe. And when we celebrate, we have a taste of his presence and we long for eternity. We even learned that sometimes when we are feeling lost and life is upside down, we actually can encounter God in those difficult and in-between times. And one of my favorite weeks, I'm sorry, was we learn to encounter God as we eat this book. God, through the scripture, we encounter him. We get to know him. We hear his voice. And we neglect it to our barrel. Amanda taught us about, you know, encountering God in missions. And actually, missions is encountering God. And we're so thankful for all of our IWs that were here uh, on that Sunday. We learned that actually in the body, our physical body, we encounter God. It is His temple. The Spirit dwells within us. Well, there's two weeks left. And today, we are going to look about, uh, at how we encounter God in, in a very unusual, unexpected place. There's an area of our life and in our world where actually we think is separate from God and has nothing to do with God. And before you turn me off today, are you going to turn me off? No? Thank you for promising in advance. We are going to learn how we encounter God in financial stewardship. 
Now, before you yawn and thinking, oh, no, here comes a big giving talk, here's what we're going to talk. We are going to focus on how we encounter God in it. And I want to bless you and encourage your hearts of how you get to experience the presence and the reality of God in the area of your finances. So, without further ado, our world is all upside down financially, though. Would you not agree? I was reading this week, doing some research, the average Canadian, including every baby, has $3,909 on a credit card somewhere. And if that's not worse, for every dollar every Canadian makes or earns, they spend $1.85. Think about it. By the end of June 2023, the average Canadian... Every dollar they, spend, they earn, they spend $1.85. Now, that includes all kinds of debt, loans, payables, and mortgages. Some, if you don't believe that actually mortgage is a debt, that you could sell it and pay it off, then it's not indebtedness. But consumer debt, it's still well over the dollar amount. My father taught me something years ago. Dad would always say this. He would say, Jerk, if you're in if your output exceeds your income, your upkeep will be your downfall. And that's worth noting, if you're young, friends, if, you're out, if your output, what you spend, exceeds your income, your upkeep will be your downfall. We live in a culture, however, that believes that we just live on credit, and I don't know how we believe that somehow we'll never have to pay it off. Maybe we learn it from our governments. Maybe we just learn it because we've bought into the ethos and the cultural climate of our world. So I want to have a little fun with you just before I get into the meat of the message. You okay with that? What I'd like to teach you quickly is this, how not to encounter God in your finances. If you want a guaranteed way that you're not going to encounter God in your finances, here's how. Number one, think you earned it, you own it, and it's all yours. Make sure that's your number one belief in life, that you earned it, it's yours, it's all yours, and you own it. You read the scripture from cover to cover, it teaches us that God owns everything in the earth. All that's in the earth belongs to him. He even goes on to say, the gold is mine, the silver is mine. You know that every natural resource that hasn't even been harvested yet actually is God's. And in case you're still wrestling with the fact that you, that you and I earn it and work for it, he said, even the ability to earn wealth comes from him. It's all from God. But if you don't want him in your finances, just think it's all yours, you earned it, and it's all yours. Here's one, spend more than you earn, incurring more debt to get stuff now that you could have waited for had you saved. Be discontent with what you have and feel entitled. As soon as you get something new, just get your eyes on the next thing and think you deserve it. Here's one, worry a lot. Worry a lot about money, possessions, food, and clothes. That's a sure way to not encounter God in your finances. Build self-worth on net worth and build your identity on your equity. There's a surefire way that you won't experience God the way he intends for you in your finances. 
love money, serve possessions, and idolize status. That's, again, good advice for not encountering God. Don't give or sacrifice anything for God, kingdom, or other people. And lastly, if there's anything left over after all your bills and after all your wants and after everything you want to do in life, if there happens to be a little bit left over, maybe you might want to give some of that. That's a sure way to not encounter God in your finances. Now, if that doesn't sound too encouraging to you, then maybe there's a little more truth to actually you buying into these philosophies more than you think you do. We're all tempted with that. I am. The key is, though Christians are called to live in countercultural ways, different, we are, we are called to live according to the Word of God, to believe it, to align our lives with it, and to obey it. So then, if you live out these principles, then unfortunately the truth of Luke 16 is going to be true for you. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, Jesus said, who will trust you with true riches, eternal spiritual riches? And we don't want to believe this. We don't want to believe that how we handle our money has an effect on our spiritual life. We compartmentalize ourselves and we think that we can do whatever we want with our money and we can be fine with God and we have access to spiritual power and resources and faith and blessing and all kinds of things. Jesus said, not so. If he can't trust you with worldly wealth, i.e. money, with possessions, how will he ever trust you with spiritual riches? So we want to look at, give you a definition of Christian stewardship and then show you how you can encounter God, okay? What is Christian financial stewardship? There are dozens and dozens of definitions. I'm sure you can come up with a better one, but let's try this on for size. Christian financial stewardship, now before I get into the definition, a steward is a Bible word that talks about being a manager an overseer of something that belongs to someone else. A steward manages it for that person according to their interests and their purposes. Get it? Okay. So Christian stewardship then is managing the resources God entrusts to us to serve his interests and fulfill his purposes in a manner which obeys his word and that will be accountable to his evaluation. That's what Christian financial stewardship is. We manage what God has entrusted to us for his interests and purposes in a way or a manner that lines up with his word and knowing that we will be held to account for it. That's what Christian financial stewardship is is all about. There's some key principles in stewardship. We've, some of them are the opposite of what we've heard in that opening segment. God's the owner, and we've been entrusted to manage it. Some good financial biblical stewardship principles are to work diligently and earn legitimate wages, not to run after quick fix, get-rich schemes. 
to give your very first and best faithfully and cheerfully to God and his work. You know, I believe it's important and biblical to aim for your first goal to be making 10%, give it to him. And then you grow, as the scripture says over time, grow in the grace of giving. We save responsibility for short-term emergencies and long-term needs. That's a good biblical principle. You can read about these in the Proverbs. And we're called to watch the ants who you see them scurrying in the ground and they save for later. We're to be diligent in saving. Avoiding dangers of debt by practicing patience. The scripture says that the one who borrows is the servant now of the one who lends it to him. And we know that pressure, don't we? Being a slave or the servant of the lender. And God wants to free you from that. He wants to help you not to just load up with consumer debt. To give to the poor, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, care for the widow and the orphan. That's biblical stewardship. Here's one, to be content in every situation. To enjoy what you have. Do you know that's a stewardship principle? To enjoy what God has entrusted to you. Too many of us, we get something, God gives it to us, we purchase something, whatever, and then it's just a matter of time and we don't enjoy it anymore. Our eyes are on the newer, the the different, something else. Or we accumulate and we don't enjoy what we have. Offer hospitality without grumbling and live in light of eternity, storing up treasure in heaven. There's lots. Christian financial stewardship is managing what's been entrusted to us for his purposes and his interests according to the scriptures, knowing we will be brought to account for it. Randy Alcorn wrote a couple of books. One is Money, Possessions, and Eternity, and another one, Uh, The Treasure Principle, and the bigger book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity, is an excellent one. He said, stewardship isn't a subcategory of the Christian life. Stewardship is the Christian life. After all, what is stewardship except that God has entrusted to us life, time, talents, money, possessions, family, and His grace, and in each case, He evaluates how we regard what He has entrusted to us and what we do with it. Stewardship is the Christian life. And the fun and the beautiful thing is, and I didn't make a mistake there, the fun and enjoyable thing about practicing Christian stewardship is we get to encounter God. I started my stewardship journey when I was about this high. My parents would give me, you know, allowance. Remember that? Who remembers allowance? Yeah. Now kids just expect it. What's allowance? Hand it over. Allowance, I I remember getting allowance And I remember my dad teaching me about taking my allowance and putting some of it away and some of it first to God in this jar and then one and, you know, save this and then 
have fun with this rest of it. I remember then I, you know, was 14 years old. I remember, uh, you know, cutting grass for my first job. I cut the grass at the church and I got paid a little bit for that. And I remember taking that and making sure I gave some to God, just thanking him for being able to do this, a way to honor him. I remember the day I turned 16, I started working at Canada Safeway. It's a grocery chain. And uh, I remember doing that and getting my first paycheck. And I remember that very first paycheck. I took that, cashed it, did the same thing that I'd been doing for already in that point in my life, at least 10 years. I will never forget I'll never forget as a teen the first time I gave a thousand bucks to God. I could not believe just little by little faithful to him to be able to do that. It was mind-boggling to me. I remember getting married in Leah and we started our ministry and our first paycheck. It wasn't much. It was tough. We moved to Ottawa. The church actually, a year and a half later, came back to us and said, we realize we've been paying you like below the poverty line to live here. We're so sorry. But in those first days, we determined from the first Sunday we were going to honor God with our resources. And it's been a joy to not just do that. Because I came to a point in my life, I don't know if some of you might relate to this, where actually giving 10% of my my money back to God, it didn't, didn't test my trust. I'd learned to live on that 90%. So I then changed from giving from my take-home pay to my gross pay. 10% of my gross. And then this verse in the scripture in Corinthians has talked about, but grow in the grace of giving. Just like you grow in increasing your love, just like you increase your knowledge, Corinthians said, grow in the grace of giving. And so I started to do that. We'll pick that up later. All I can tell you is this, that over the course of my life, what I'm going to talk to you about today, there's a lot of things I don't get right. You know that. But this is one thing I can stand before you with all integrity and say, since I was six years old, I have not failed God in this. If there's an area I feel like I can speak with some sort of great, great assurance, it's this one. We encounter God in financial stewardship. And here's how we encounter him. We will encounter his wise counsel. When God is the wisest God, and when we align ourselves and do what he says in his word, we experience him and his wisdom. 
He advises us with sound financial principles. He's giving prudent understanding to us through his spirit and his word. It teaches us about money and about being wise about money. The scripture is full of it. God is a wise God, and he has wise counsel. He talks about the temptations that come with money. He talks about the blessings of money. He talks about being, the prudence, being prudent in spending, diligent in saving, caution about debt, the responsibilities of given, the reality of accountability, avoiding co-signing loans, harm of get, the harm of get-rich-quick schemes, the importance of caring for the poor, and the essential support of the church and the mission of Christ around the world. And as we obey God's word in the area of our finances, we will experience his wisdom and the truth of his counsel. It's just reality. And you could get to experience God's wisdom as you apply them. Here's the second way. We encounter God in financial stewardship when we will encounter his faithful care for us. His faithful care. Because the Father who loves you, and as you practice stewardship, he just cares for you. We sang about it this morning, one of his names, Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. He has revealed himself in this name, the God who provides. And as we practice faithful stewardship, God has promised to provide for our needs. Jesus said it this way, Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, so don't worry saying, what will I eat? What should we drink? What do we wear? Don't worry. The pagans, the pagans is a word for people who do not have a personal relationship or belief in God. The pagans run after these things. Your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. He'll give them to you. He'll take care of your need. You will experience the loving Father's gracious provision meeting your needs. Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That is true. You will encounter God and his provision for you. We encounter God in financial stewardship. Thirdly, as we will encounter his enabling strength isn't there a lot of areas in life that just sap your strength? That's just the worry, the temptations of worry and concern can just suck the life out of us. But as you practice the stewardship, you're going to be enabled by his power and his strength. It's Jesus, his power at work within us, giving us the strength to choose to be content in any situation. The Paul the Apostle Paul called it a secret. I know the secret of having little and having much. I know the secret. And uh, he says that we are not naturally content, so we need a, f a force working within our hearts and minds to lift us towards different choices. We can be, you know, content when we don't have a lot. We can be content having a lot. I remember somebody saying this one time, said, who's more content, the person with 10 kids 
or the one with 10 million bucks? The person with 10 kids, he doesn't want any more. Good friend of mine, used to be a part of this church, gone to be with the Lord now. He began, his career took off, he began to make money hand over fist. And I met with him one day because there was a bit of tension there and we were talking over some stuff with, you know, in his home. And, and uh, he said, Jerry, it doesn't matter how much you make, you find ways to spend it. The discontent bug can get you. And we encounter God's presence as he gives us strength. His strength is released, transforming our thinking and our attitudes that enables to choose to be content. Paul put it this way, Philippians 4. In any and every circumstance, and the context is very clearly financial. He talks about being in great need. He knows about having an overabundance. He knows both extremes. And he says, in every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And what's the secret of being content? Here it is right here. Say it with me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's the key. The key is the presence and power of Christ manifesting itself within us, enabling us, changing our thinking, helping us to make choices to be content in whatever situation we find ourselves. We encounter him in financial stewardship as we experience his divine activity. Here's what I mean by that. When we begin to practice spiritual financial stewardship, God gets involved in your finances. His supernatural work kicks in as we make godly stewardship our financial priority. He gets involved. His activity starts to engage. He begins to add to or he will multiply or sometimes you don't see the direct influence but you get the extension, the stretching of what we have. Miraculously, the consistent practice of giving away 10, 20, 30, or more percent of your income seems to equate to having sufficient resources. I remember a friend of ours who began, and they had been saving for their first house for a long time, and they finally were going to put down the down payment just when we did our very first capital campaign to buy this property. Bummer. We never asked people for, you know, a gift. We just said, just pray and ask the Holy Spirit, what, how do you want me to participate? They came and said to me that the Holy Spirit told them to give their down payment to this land. And they were devastated, but full of joy. They were scared, but full of faith. And they wrote the check and they gave it. And they forewent their first home to pay for God's purposes on this property. Did you know in less than a year and a half they owned their first home? God did something miraculous. And when you start to prioritize God and he begins, his activity starts to kick in. Somehow, 
somehow, when you give it away, it actually allows sufficiency. I don't understand it. And that's the beauty of it. When you just practice, this is what God does. Proverbs 11, 24 and 25 says, One person gives freely, yet gains even more, while another withholds unduly and comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. It is just a law in the kingdom of God that somehow God makes it happen. Here's another way we encounter God. We will encounter his kingdom blessing. That's a little different from what we just looked at. He will bless our lives. As says in the book of Acts, Jesus is quoted where he says, it's more blessed to give than receive. Our faith-filled stewardship receives God's blessing. The laws of the kingdom of God kick in, and he multiplies our capacity to give to him, to extend his kingdom work and his work around the world. And not just financially, he blesses us. There are other kingdom blessings. He increases the harvest of our righteousness. He grows our character. He expands our responsibility and our influence. And those who are faithful with little, he makes faithful with much. God had promised to bless our influence of our giving and resulting in many thanksgivings to God. We get the kingdom blessing is that God gets glory and thanks. Lastly, we see, well, let me just run this through. And 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and God is able to bless you abundantly. Why? You see, so that, you know, here's the why. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. It's kingdom blessing. And he says in verses, 9, verses 10 and 11 of 2 Corinthians, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will also supply and increase your store of seed. You will be enriched in every way so that, here's the purpose, you can be generous on every occasion. What you give away to God, he blesses so that you can give again. Here's the last thing. We encounter God in financial stewardship as we will experience his eternal favor. His eternal favor. One of the most famous parables about giving and investing in God's kingdom. What does the master say when he calls them all back? Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. You're going to get his assuring words. You're storing up treasure in heaven transformed people, righteous works, God's glory, the promise of eternal reward for all that's given up here, both in this life and in the next, and the privilege of being given increased dominion and responsibility in the new heaven, the new earth. The sheer joy of our inheritance is Jesus himself being pleased at the handling of his resources. 
2 Corinthians 9 puts it this way, that God will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness and through our generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Truly, Luke says, Jesus said, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the, in the, in the, in the age to come eternal life. And again, as we saw Jesus say, well done. You've been faithful in a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. See, friends, it's so much more than just the dollars and the cents. When you and I practice, you know, Christian biblical stewardship, we encounter God, his wisdom, his care, his strength, his activity, his blessing, and his favor. Stewardship is not unspiritual, nor is it off limits. Spiritual blessings come through financial stewardship principles. So here's the question. What's your next step? I don't know where you are today. I don't know what your private practices are. But I want to encourage you with this. Commit to practice financial stewardship and priority percentage giving to God. Start somewhere. If you're not giving anything, give something. If you're giving two, give three or five. Make it your aim. And ask, trust God to increase that seed to sow. For some of us, if you've been like me for years, you were at a 10% thing of your gross and it just... You didn't even trust God in that. You can do that in your sleep and not miss it. And I would never ask you to do anything more than I, although many in our church do. But just so, you, just so you're aware, I just got a cost of living increase and I immediately went, took my form, sent it to our accountant, Heather, and I said, Heather, can you please increase our monthly or every paycheck giving by X amount? And it was more than just the percentages. I won't tell you how much, but I'll just say that. And it's a joy to, you know, give automatically. First thing that comes off my bank account when the money goes in, I see it on my records. I'm giving to Summit Community give to God through the church. Offerings, offerings I give on the app or cash or whatever ways we do that, on top of that, building on top of that, other ministries and mission stuff, community things, and then just helping people. Like those things are all different. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm just saying, just join me in that however the Spirit leads you. And you will experience and encounter God in ways you never thought possible. So, I want to encourage you today, friends. You can encounter God in ways you never expected in this whole area of your life. 
And I trust that these principles, as you learn more about stewardship principles, that they would be the ones you live by, not that first quick list. You want to ensure, God, you encounter him in this area of your life. Amen. Bring alignment. Uh, Henry Blackaby wrote a book in a workbook years ago called Encounter, Experiencing God. And basically, it was this process that God's always at work and he wants to be at work. He, he you know, invites you into a love relationship with him that's real and personal. He offers an invitation for you to be a part of that. Then he speaks to you through his word and his spirit. And then what happens is speaking to you then brings you to a place where it challenges you in your place of belief. You have to make a decision. It's a crisis of belief. Do I trust God in this or not? And then I take an active step to align my life with what he says. And it's in the doing that God comes through and you experience him. If you don't work through that crisis of belief and put it into action, you won't experience him in so many ways of your life and no more than in this area. So I'd love to pray for you to that end.